You're listening to People First, the Hyde Park Angels podcast dedicated to deconstructing entrepreneurial success and actionable takeaways you can use today. Hyde Park Angels is the most active early stage investor in Chicago with a commitment to taking a people first approach to investing. By matching our members' expertise and our entrepreneurs' needs, we help develop top-performing companies that are delivering extraordinary results. I'm your host, Pete Wilkins, Managing Director here at HPA. Enjoy the show. Joe Beatty, investor, advisor, mentor, and member of Hyde Park Angels. So, Joe, this is an exciting day uh, to be able to sit down with you and learn uh, what it, it takes to be successful in business and as an executive. So, Joe, from your perspective, um, or maybe for our listeners, it would be helpful. Can you provide your background, um, some of the highlights of the companies that you were a part of and the roles that you had? Sure. Yeah, so I grew up in Chicago, born and raised, went to University of Illinois, studied engineering, came out and uh, worked for a telephone company back in the day when that telephone companies was kind of Ma Bell with copper wires and big switches and did that for seven years and learned the business. Um, Was also going to night school to study business. And so when I finished that, I really wanted to shift from being technical to being more of a business generalist. Um, And so what I did, I looked really hard because I love telecom still. I wanted to be involved in telecom, but I didn't want to be a techie in telecom. Sure. So I found a position to be a securities analyst for four years. So I learned how to analyze a financial analyst, you know, stocks and bonds, Mm -hmm. studying, covering telecom companies. So you're using a phone and, of course, studying studying the the telecom industry from an analyst perspective. You got it. Yeah, I was a bond analyst, so I was telling institutional investors what telco bonds to buy or sell, which was fun. I got to focus on, you know, 15 companies, learn them well, stay involved with the industry, yet use my finance skills and uh, really take a look at the industry from a different direction. So I did that for four years. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Um, And then uh, that's when I got the call from a friend of mine. I was working down in Charlotte. I moved away to do work for Bank of America for a couple of years. One of my old colleagues from the early days at the telephone company called me. He had been working for a startup in the space, really the first and biggest startup at the time. And he said, Joe, we got to do a startup. Here's the plan. And I had just written a research piece as an industry analyst. And the thesis of my industry piece was exactly what he said. And this has to do with when telecom competition started was fiber cables, Mm -hmm. direct connections. And really most of the money is in switch services. And so that's what he wanted to do. That's what my report said. I said, well, gee, yeah, I totally agree with what you want to do. Many times people are in a position where they're not as fortunate as you that had a bunch of different folks that had complementary skill sets. But I, I think that as you're listening to this, looking at what you do well and the team you put around you becomes really important. And I bet, Joe, that it's going to be a theme throughout our conversation today. Yeah, you're right. People matter immensely. Um, I did get lucky that, you know, my three teammates on this venture were well qualified for the roles they needed to play. And, you know, it comes down to we each need to play our role in these businesses. And, you know, having been a CFO and then a CEO, those are different roles. And we could talk about that later maybe. But absolutely people matter. And, um, you know, so in our case, it just all worked. Three of us had worked together before. Um, only myself and the CEO hadn't known each other, worked together before. Um, and so all that, that history helped sure. 
uh, the cult, there was cultural glue before yep. we even got started. Well, it sounds like the, the capital you got was helpful. So tell me the story, what happened next, and kind of where, where did this startup go? Yeah, so um, telecom was capital intensive back then. It was the era of big iron. You need facilities, which were turning from copper to fiber, or access to those facilities, and you needed big switches from Lucent or Nortel. So big money. It was a big capital intensive business, but one with huge market, right? It was a $100 billion market, $80 billion of its switch services. And we were going to pick off the valuable minutes. Mm-hmm. It was about segmenting and getting the, we'll call them fat minutes. But So we raised a lot of money. We raised $25 million um, from four guys in a business plan. Wow, that's and nice. Just kind of that was our first raise. And you needed that kind of a commitment for the play we were making, which was NFL cities, put switches in each one of them. We were not going to crack the ground and put fiber in because others had done that. Mm-hmm. And we thought we could make use of that because that would have been a 10 times the capital requirement. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, real quick, I think there's a, a parallel uh, today, and that's really around the startups that are building infrastructure or connecting the infrastructure with the internet of everything. Mm-hmm. And so... If you had one tip from your experience when you were doing that to these folks that are trying to do pretty capital-intensive work in the Internet of Everything, what would you, from your experience back then, would be a good parallel or something that you might say, hey, take a look at this when you're raising $25 million capital with just a business plan? Yeah, I, I think we ended up um, – so DSL came out a couple years into what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, our story is we ended up going public. It was the first bubble era of Internet and telecom. So it was quite a rocket ship ride. Um, four years later, we were public. We had 240 million of annual revenue, over a thousand employees, and we're, you know, we were cash flow positive for much of it. We dipped a little bit negative for a while in, in the name of growing faster. Mm-hmm. But we took on loads of debt, and that's where our story, the ending of our story, we can come back to changes. But what I would say um, is segmenting well. We were really focused with our initial business plan, mm-hmm. and it was we wanted to grow faster. Because our competitors were out there growing faster. They had kind of brand name CEOs, and we were all a bunch of first timers. Sure. We were worried we would get sold by our investors to one of these guys and get their overvalued stock and not be able to, and watch it go to zero before mm-hmm. we could sell it. So we wanted to be moving fast enough, really competitively from an investor perspective, mm-hmm. to keep our investors happy, keep our valuation up. So we did some things with new services at the edge that we weren't really convinced we're going to be high margin or high probability of success. Mm -hmm. So we diluted our business plan. And in retrospect, I would say staying focused would have been the smarter thing to do. But the thing that I'll extract and we'll continue on the discussion, but I feel that in a market like that, that was had emerging opportunities and an infrastructure play that you can compare to internet of everything Having a niche, understanding how you're going to create value, I know you might skew a little bit from that, but it sounded like that became your ability to communicate your value in the marketplace effectively and then get that beachhead and then expand. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And that went on, you know, my last company. So two companies later, which was my last company, was an Internet of Things company. And when I got there, we had well, we made electronics as well, and we narrowed that down. We said, we're only making electronics if we use it in a Internet of Things service. So mm-hmm. we became recurring revenue-oriented, service revenue-oriented. And, and one of our pre-existing services lived on. It was our largest. But then we were looking for the next to layer in, more IoT services. And I'll tell you, 
it's hard if you stick to your guns in terms of um, being real about what's going to be profitable and successful. It's hard um, to find, to convince yourself um, that any new service is worth it. You can really, if you don't stay disciplined, I think you go down some rabbit holes. Right. Uh, and so we tried to be very disciplined at that company. I think we succeeded. We ended up layering two other services in. They grew. They were profitable. But I turned down so many others that I wanted to do in the name of growth, but I just learned the lesson before, and I just didn't want to. So let's 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 uh, double click on this um, because I think that is another lesson that entrepreneurs can learn is it is what you're saying no to is probably mm-hmm. more important than what you're saying yes to. So how did mm-hmm. you create a decision making tree or a methodology of making those decisions? Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say it's self-discipline in this because smaller companies, if you're the CEO, you're the chief strategy officer by definition right? and chief of a lot of other things. So I think um, you become the lead analyst for opportunities. And if you're not, I would encourage you to do that you need to be. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it was just maintaining the discipline. Um, but I used to have fun. My team, I'm remembering back at the last company, kind of made fun of me because I came up with, I always like to have a long shot idea. Right. Just to test it and see if it could work. And right. we were B2B, but I thought if we could be B2C, I had this idea for a terminal you'd carry around for your internet. Because we made fixed wireless terminals. Sure. Right? And I was going to make it in the shape of an animal. I called it the puppy. My team was like, <laughs> is this really right. our boss, Mr. Straight? Were they thinking up? you were drinking before you came up with the idea they, as well? or They were. All right, they, laughed. they said, I know it's funny, but we got it's okay to entertain long shots because... That may take us to 10x. Right. As it turns out, I had someone come in and someone I'd worked with and trusted to look at the idea. And, and he said to me, he said, so, Joe, you see that cell phone on your desk? They're really close to these things being able to be, you know, portable Internet hotspots. And if I were you, I wouldn't do what you're thinking of. And that once he showed me that evidence, I said, oh, yeah, OK, throw that one out. Right. But for a while, the team got a kick out of the fact that the boss, you know, tried to have some creative juices. So for, for our listeners, let's um, frame up a little bit, because I think we dug into some things that are critical. I think that if I were to summarize a couple of items, um, having a clear idea of where you're going to play in the market and having some domain expertise becomes critical when you're launching a new venture. Um, thinking about the capital that you're going to bring into your venture becomes important. If it's a capital-intensive business, you got to look at perhaps debt as well and figuring out kind of resources that will help you look at that as, as a model. I think the other thing is we kind of fast-tracked. Um, one of the things that we talked about is when you're making decisions as an executive, you're making decisions on a couple of items. Number one, you're making a decision on what you're going to do, but just as importantly, what you shouldn't do. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that you continued to highlight was the fact that what is it possible that we could do that nobody's thinking about? So mm-hmm. um, the puppy idea um, was that is a good example, but I think it was more as a leader, as you're growing a company, as an executive, it's your job to really manage day-to-day decisions in a um, thoughtful process, but you also have to look at what is possible, and that's where innovation is driven. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. And the other thing I'd say about the puppy idea was it was a, an episode in giving permission to the team mm-hmm. to think outside the box yep. as well, right? Yep. I, I wasn't, from the beginning, I wasn't sure it was really going to get legs, right. but I thought it would be a fun thing for them to, to see me do. 
but yeah, innovation. So what's the culture? What's the, how do you create an innovative culture? And I'm going back to the beginning here of, of something you said earlier, which is about the team, right? You've got to get the team in shape such that they can, yeah, execute the day-to-day, -day, but, but two, be equal contributors to the strategy and the creativity. Right. So when people talk to me about, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, what would you tell me? The first thing I tell them is become an expert at something, either an industry domain yeah. or a technology or some other discipline yeah. um, such that you really reach mastery of something and that you can bring that to bear into a team uh, at a startup. And so to me, that's the first thing. And then you get this notion of building a team and making sure you have balance, making sure people understand their roles. And if you're the person at the top, I very much view it as an orchestra conductor in part. But you really, one thing we ran into in our startup is we hired all these smart people right. around us to be the rest of our senior team. And I'm not sure we had them focused and marching in the same direction. And what smart, aggressive people do when you don't focus them is they go off into the direction they think makes sense. Yeah. And so that really intrigued me, the notion of leadership is about, in business, uh, getting that team, proper team built, and pointing them in the right direction and making sure they stay in that direction. So let's do this, Joe. I think that um, we're going to provide some context for our listeners so that they understand just the years of experience you've had as a leader. And then after we just provide a little background on you, then we're going to talk about how you become that conductor of this orchestra and some of the philosophies you have in guiding type A leaders in your organization. So if you could give me kind of a bullet point. Just a quick highlight. Highlight of your career because okay. then they'll say, wow, this guy has a viewpoint on a lot of different angles. Would you mind uh, sure. giving a So out of, Cal, out of undergrad, seven years as an engineer in a phone company, tacked the MBA on top. And four years as a securities analyst covering the telecom industry. So I view myself as comm services still. Yep. Um, and then I got the call for the startup. So that was that was really the plateau for growth. Four and what was and the name of the years. startup? It's called Focal Communications. Sure, sure. Chicago-based. Uh, so that was a four-plus year run. I was CFO of that. Um, and so I – and we went public. And so I, all of a sudden I had credibility as a public company CFO. Right. Uh, that's exciting, though. I mean, I think that's if all the listeners, I think everybody kind of has those dreams of going public. So you were able to uh, ring the bell. Um, and what, were the, what, what happened next? So, yeah, so I, uh, I was the second of four founders to leave. And I think what happened is it's such a rocket ship ride. It's, it overtakes your life. Startups can do that, but startups that grow that fast, that quickly, really do that. Yeah. And we were... I mean, we were considered a success, um, but I was burned out. And honestly, I was thinking a little bit differently than my remaining two founders, co-founders. And rather than get in the heavy debates about it, we were already public. We were at a good point. I said, you know what? I think I'll just take off. Yeah. Well, and so we found a replacement for me, and then I left. And then I took a little time off. But that's when I realized I really love to try running something. Right. I That top job looks like the fun one. Yeah. So uh, – you know, I told everyone I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't really realize at the time I was doing exactly what I needed to do. I tell the network what I wanted to do, and the network came back to me 18 months later, and I got the chance to run a small private equity-owned uh, company that did wireless systems at airports. So we bought this from 
some guys in New York, but it was first it was really shared cell phone systems. So think of a tower, the outdoor cell towers, but sure. in a building. Yeah, okay. Distributed antenna systems are called. Um, and so we did that at airports, and it was the time Wi-Fi had just come about. And you read our contracts, and you realize, well, we have the rights to the whole electromagnetic spectrum. I wonder if we threw up some Wi-Fi networks for for pay. All right. If people would do that as they sat at the gate, well, of course they would. So they did. Boom! There you go. And what happened there? So you became was, the CEO of this company, and it was, it was named. Uh, that was Concourse Communications. Okay. CEO for three years. And we added the Wi-Fi layer into the business and grew it, and we sold that to a company called Boingo Wireless, which is public company today. And yeah. So you had your first company goes public. Your second company basically invents the wireless that we all know, Boingo. Um, and or I guess it, it is event probably is an exaggeration, <laughs> but leads to success. Yeah. Uh, so that was good, and that was you know for me very conscious at that point. I finally got conscious. You know, my life up till then was a random sure. set of events that only in retrospect look like they're connected to me. But I wish I could say I had a plan. Right. And if I talk to people today, I say, you know, you, it, I think you probably should have a plan. I got lucky I didn't have one and it worked. But yeah, so. But, direction, I, but directionally, <laughs> you, I mean, you, you did have a plan. You, great, you created domain expertise in the telecom industry. You saw how that could evolve in the way that it was going to work. And so you were operating within that. But I do feel for our listeners, you should have generally a pretty good, it's always good to have a plan. Sometimes you recognize your plan in retrospect, like you're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Um, and you can really take advantage of that. But to continue the, the your history, so yeah. then what was, what was the next chapter? So that was three-year stint, first-time CEO of a private equity-backed company, and it worked. Check. And then I had a little time off, and I said, well, I, I like that gig. I'd like to do that again, maybe for a public company this time. I've been a public CFO, but I hadn't been a public CEO. So um, nine months later, from the network came an opportunity, and it was this. It was, well, we're looking for a CFO that can very quickly take the CEO job of this small public Internet of Things company. And I said, well, that sounds good. I hadn't been a CFO in the Sarbanes-Oxley era, so I thought that would be fun. Oh, well, that was probably – you probably reconsider that now. But anyway, yes. no, I realized in retrospect forward. it wasn't fun, but it was, <laughs> it was a good experience. And then within a year, I was CEO of that company called Tellular. Maybe we go from that – and I know that you serve uh, High Park Angel um, – as a member, but you're also on the board of Four Kites. You're seeing startups, so you've had this public experience and startup experience. And we, what I'd like to go back to is this idea of being the conductor of um, this orchestra of talent. Mm -hmm. And you know, as you're looking back upon your career and even some of the boards that you're, you know, have the oversight over, what are some of the things that you could tell an entrepreneur that might be listening that they should really think about? Yeah. Um, in terms of that leadership position, um, it's interesting. The thing I like the most these days is is having the chance to work with and mentor kind of first-time CEOs because I think so much of the leadership issue, um, it matters immensely. And the yeah. person at the top, how they behave, how they treat others, how they think ends up uh, permeating the company. And if it's not in balance and if it's not um, focused and if there's any bad things that get into that, it's problematic. And so I really uh, kind of fixate on that notion. So it shows up in every way. I mean, we could talk about leadership for a long time. I think it starts with how you behave. Behave. Uh, Start that, there. When you, 
when you had mentioned that, I actually kind of had goosebumps because I think it's so critical. As a leader, you might not necessarily have all the answers, but it's really important to think about how you behave to get them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so your behavior will set the tone for so many things around that. And I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit more. Yeah. So so do you, when you don't have the answer, are, are you willing to admit it? And then, you know, so that's one thing instead of kind of faking your way through things. Right. Being authentic, I guess, is the word I would use in as in everything you do mm-hmm. so that people think, okay, being real is uh, is how we are around here. Um, not shooting the messenger so people aren't afraid to tell you things you need to know. Right. I mean, I tried to be good at that. I used to tell people it's really a batting average. I go, unless, you know, unless your one strikeout is so bad that sometimes in life – things can't be helped. But in general, I'm not going to, don't worry about mistakes. We all make them, but let's worry about not making them twice. Yeah. I I think that for entrepreneurs listening, it is really important to identify and be self-aware of who you are and then lead that way within your organization. I think that if you're brand new, having an understanding of what good leaders exhibit will create some framework to think about that. And even for those entrepreneurs that are mature, I mean, both Joe and I completely identify with the fact that as soon as you start thinking, I guess I'm speaking for you, but I think, tell me if you agree, but Mm -hmm. as soon as you start thinking you know everything, you're probably (laughs) making the wrong decision. I mean, all the great athletes and all the great executives are looking for help on a consistent basis. Absolutely. And uh, I'm thinking of a couple of thoughts here. One is that the notion of know your role in the company. So when I was a CFO of my startup, I looked around me and I said, oh, I think I have to be, I have to say no like three quarters of the time. It feels like that's about, my job is to make sure people don't waste resources, make sure we don't get distracted on our strategy, try to, there's a lot of saying no. And I joke with people that when I got the CEO job, I was excited because when you're the CEO, you get to say, you only have to say no half the time. You know, you get to say yes more often, and right. it's more upbeat and fun. And that may or may not be true depending on your company. But my point is there's a role to be played, and you got to look at your team, realize what you're good at, what your responsibilities are for the team, and play your role and make sure there aren't any – if you're the CEO, make sure there aren't any gaps in the team, right? Yeah, thanks, Joe. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a people business. Business is all about people. So taking a people-first approach is going to be extremely valuable. Thank you for your time. We had tremendous insights and uh, look forward to the discussion both uh, in future podcasts and around the water cooler. Thank you. Thanks, Pete.